description of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. The physical details of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ are well known to us. Just about everybody knows them. We hear the stories every year. And the Christmas story is told in many ways and by many people in Christmas carols and Christmas cards and in nativity scenes and on the radio and other media. But do they have it right? Is that exactly what happened? For they want you to think that the uniqueness of the birth of Christ lies in the way that he was received by mankind at that time. It was because of his austere physical surroundings that he was so special, he was poor. The people didn't want him, no one cared enough to give his parents and him a decent roof over their head. And they want to appeal to our emotions. The somewhat apocryphal and mythical story goes that his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, arrived in Bethlehem the night before his birth. And when they came there, there was no room for them anywhere. No one cared about the fact that she was nine months pregnant and about to give birth. There was not a soul in the whole town of Bethlehem who would give them a roof over their head. The only place that they could find accommodation was in the local inn. Uh, But the local inn did not have any room for them either. So they were directed to bed down amongst the animals in the stable of the inn. And when the Lord Jesus was born, they only had a manger to to lay him in. Poor baby, poor parents. Was that really the way it happened? Were the people in Bethlehem such a heartless bunch that they did not have any room for a woman about to give birth? Was there no room for them anywhere? What really did happen when Christ was born? Well, brothers and sisters, we have to let the Bible tell us the true story. And as you will see, things did not exactly happen the way that you might think. The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ was actually a very ordinary birth, occurring under very ordinary circumstances. Yet at the same time, it was also a miraculous birth, but not because so much of the physical circumstances of his birth, but because he is the unique son of God. That's what I want to preach to you about. It is about the ordinary yet miraculous birth of Christ. And then first we will look at the normality of his birth, and in the second place, the magnitude of his birth, or the extraordinariness of his birth. Is it really true that Joseph and Mary came into town just as she was about to give birth to her firstborn son? Well, that's highly unlikely. In the first place, Bethlehem is at least 100 kilometers from Nazareth. And do you really think that Joseph and Mary would have traveled that distance just as she was about to give birth? It is not as if they could step in 
to a car or a bus or a train or a plane to make that journey. They didn't even have bikes in those days. No, the only way you could travel was on foot and by donkey. It would be highly irresponsible for a woman in late pregnancy to make such a trip under such circumstances. It would be much more reasonable to assume that Joseph and Mary made their trip many weeks in advance. The text in Luke supports such an interpretation as well. For what does the text say? It says that while they were there, that is, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. In other words, they were already there when the time came for her to give birth. Joseph was a responsible man. It is not realistic to assume that he would have gone to Bethlehem without making some arrangements for his stay there. After all, Bethlehem was the place of his ancestors. And so Joseph would have had a few relatives there where they could stay. And if not with relatives, then with a stranger. For we also know that in accordance with Middle Eastern hospitality, strangers would not be left stranded. No doubt Mary and Joseph would have been invited to stay with someone in town, especially considering that she was in the late stages of pregnancy. And so it is much more reasonable to assume that Joseph would have stayed at a relative's place or in the home of some other family in town. But you may say the text says that there was no room for them in the inn. Isn't that where they stayed? And does that not also suggest a last-minute arrival? Isn't that what would happen to us as well when we come into town late at night? It's not always, it is not always possible to find a room in a local hotel. However, the word that Luke uses here and that is translated as inn is not the usual word for a commercial inn. Elsewhere, that same word, kataluma in Greek, is translated as guest room. That is what is done, for example, with that word in Luke 22, verse 11. In that passage, the Lord Jesus instructs his disciples to prepare for the Passover, and he instructs them as follows. And tell the master of the house, the Lord Jesus says, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room? Kataluma, same word, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. So it's the same word used in both passages. The word that is normally used for a commercial inn is found in Luke 10, verse 34, where we read the story about the Good Samaritan. It says there, Then the Good Samaritan set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, Pondoxeion, completely different word, and took care of him. And so what is the text telling us? Well, in order to understand this, we first have to understand the cultural background of Luke 2 and the kinds of houses they lived in during those days. Houses were built differently than they are today. Homes in Israel were often built with one extra guest room attached. 
and that guest room would be at the end of the house. But there would also be a stable at the other end. In between, there would be a large single room that served as the family living quarters. The bedrooms of the family would be at the back of the house. Now then it would appear that the guest room of the house in which they were staying was already taken up by somebody else. For such a room was reserved for visiting relatives or for a recently married son and his wife. It is likely that some of the relatives arrived before Mary and Joseph and that for that reason there was no room for them in the guest room. So most likely Mary and Joseph were given the living quarters to sleep in. And this this scenario is also supported by what we read in Matthew 2, verse 11. Namely, that the Magi found Mary and her child in a house in Bethlehem. No doubt that would have been the same house that the Lord Jesus was born in. And what about the manger then? Well, that's easily explained. For as I said, the stable would be at the other end of the house. But those living quarters... Those living room quarters in which Joseph and Mary were staying would be open to the stable at the other end. The floor of the living room would be about four feet above the level of the stable. And the mangers were built into the floor at the end of the living area. And those mangers would be slightly below the living quarters, but at the right hand for a standing cow or donkey to feed in. Would have been quite smelly, but that's the way it was done in those days. And so one of those built-in manger at the end of the living quarters could very well serve as the first bed for the Lord Jesus. The question is, does that really matter? What difference does it make? Is it really so important to know where he was born and under what circumstances? Yes, in many ways it does. For this does alter the traditional Christmas story someone. It makes the Christmas story more normal, more human. Only once the people knew who Jesus really was, did they then reject him. In the beginning, he was just an ordinary baby in an ordinary home. Of course, as a result, we would have to change the pictures on the Christmas cards, our nativity scenes, and our stories. We would also have to change our thinking somewhat about the whole story. From now on, the story should be told that Mary and Joseph did not come into Bethlehem the night before his birth, but that they came at least several weeks earlier. And they did not find accommodation in the stable of a local inn, but in the home of a relative or someone else in town. And when the baby Jesus was born, he was born in a normal house and was placed in a manger in the family living quarters right next to the stable. The only reason that they were not able to use the guest room was because there was no room for them there, since it was already being used by somebody else. How does that affect our thinking about the birth of the Lord Jesus? 
Well, brothers and sisters, this shows that the Lord Jesus was born in a very ordinary way. He was born in an ordinary house, on an ordinary street, in an ordinary Jewish village. It was not so either that all of Bethlehem rejected him already at that particular time. No, he was extended normal hospitality. From a human point of view, there was nothing unusual about his birth. And so those ordinary circumstances help us to identify with him better. He was born like thousands of, and thousands of babies before him and like thousands of babies after him. From a human point of view, there was nothing extraordinary about his birth. He was one of us born under ordinary, humble circumstances. And so this altered story emphasizes his true humanity. He is like us in every respect except for sin. The story of his birth, however, also shows the extraordinary circumstances of his birth, emphasizing that he is at the same time Almighty God. That's what the second point is about. When this baby was born in Bethlehem in an ordinary house, on an ordinary street, in a small village in Israel, the most extraordinary thing was that this baby was the Son of God. It was a great miracle. God taking on human flesh. And this is what the believers of the Old Testament had been waiting for for thousands of years. This was such an enormous and great event that nothing before or after could ever compare to it. The Almighty Creator of heaven and earth cared so deeply about His creation that He sent His own Son into this sinful world. God comes into our world, into our ordinary lives. That is what He did at the time that He was born And that is what he does right now as well. The Lord Jesus Christ has come into your and my ordinary life as well. Think about it. Our ordinary average lives. Think about what our lives are like. Our sinful lives. Each morning we get up burdened and worried about all kinds of things that we have to do that day. There are so many things that need our attention and to which we can't do justice. There's often much that goes wrong each day and that we do wrong each day. And there are so many frustrations. There are so many sinful situations in our lives. We have our petty skirmishes with our families and friends at the workplace and in our homes and in the church. We have our daily worries about how to make a living and how to make ends meet, about our children, how they are growing up, about our parents or our siblings who do not understand us. We worry about our health and about death 
Life can also sometimes take a very ugly turn and make us deathly ill or permanently debilitate us, or it can happen to one of our loved ones. That's all part of our frail human existence. And now in the midst of all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ enters our ordinary lives. He did that some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, and he does so now, also into your, your life. For even though he is now bodily in heaven, spiritually he is with us. He is right here, right now. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is God Almighty. And it is that picture, brothers and sisters, that Luke wants us to have. For Luke wants us not only, shows us not only the ordinary way in which he was born, but also the extraordinary way in which he was born. Just pay attention to the way that the birth of the Lord Jesus was announced. Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins his story about his birth as follows. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration was when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. These are the first three verses that introduce us about the birth of Christ. And this lengthy introduction is all about Augustus. Did you notice that? Luke introduces us here to a man who is extremely powerful. As emperor, all he has to do is snap his fingers and make a decree, and the whole world has to go on the move. He is a mighty ruler. When he speaks, the world has to listen and to move. Please note that at the time of the birth of Christ, the Roman Empire is at the height of its power. There is not a country in the world which can stand up to it. Every significant power in the whole world of that day is subject to the rule of Rome, and Augustus rules supreme. And then further in this story, in verse 4, Luke recounts that Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Bethlehem is just a little town in the midst of an enormous empire. It has no clout whatsoever. And the same is true about the house of David. There is no longer a king on the throne of Israel. The house of David has all but disappeared. And it is in that town, under those humble and ordinary circumstances, that the Son of God is born. And that little baby there in Bethlehem of the insignificant house of David is king of all creation. And brothers and sisters, that especially that is especially the point that Luke wants to make. And that is what is so important to know about the birth of the Lord Jesus. And that is also quite clear from the context within which this wonderful story is told. Just look at what we are told in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. There the impending birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is anticipated and prophesied about. 
hear what the angel told Mary when he told her about the birth of his son. He said, as we read in Luke 1, verse 32 and 33, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Any reader reading in the context of that announcement will see the great contrast between the emperor Caesar Augustus and that baby to be born. Caesar Augustus to the world an almighty emperor is in reality a nobody compared to that baby. Mary herself also knew that. For that is what she, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said to Elizabeth, her cousin. Mary spoke to Elizabeth in her song about what God has done with respect to the child to be born. She says in Luke 1, verse 51 and 52, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble Estate. Exalted those of humble estate. You know who that is, don't you? That's you and me. He exalts us. That mighty king who was born on that day. Brothers and sisters, that almighty God has come into the midst of this world and he has come into our ordinary lives. He has done and will do great and mighty deeds. He is going to come again on the clouds. And the most wonderful deed that God the Father has done is that he sent his Son in the flesh so that our sinful lives can be redeemed. As we think about our ordinary lives, which is full of sorrow and sickness and death, we can be comforted with the knowledge that God has sent his son to save us, to save us from sin and to save us from all the effects of sin, to save us from death, to save us from eternal death even. Only he can do that. Only the almighty creator of heaven and earth is capable of performing such a great miracle. There is no one more powerful than God. Nothing can compare to his power. He is more powerful than any ruler on earth. And so we do not have to fear them. And that is something we should also remember as the political powers assert their wimpy power. In our country of Canada, in the country of the United States of America, in the countries of all the world. There is no power except the power that comes from our Lord and God who rules from above through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority and rule is subject to Him, for He is the one who ultimately is in control of the events of history. Not even mighty Caesar Augustus can stand up to His rule. Augustus and all the rulers of this world are but pawns in the hands of the Almighty God. 
brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that is the significance of the Christmas story. It is an ordinary story, the story of the birth of a baby born under humble circumstances in an ordinary house on an ordinary street in an ordinary Jewish village. It is a story which is nevertheless an extraordinary story. It is a story about how God loved this world so much that he allowed his son to be born in the flesh. And that's the story that should be told. And that's the story that must be believed. Amen.